0: This is Book TV's Afterwards podcast. This week, Stanford University professor Jennifer Eberhardt talks about her book, Biased, uncovering the hidden prejudice that shapes what we see, think, and do. She's interviewed by Democratic Congresswoman from Florida, Belle Demings. This conversation is from March 2019. Welcome to today's segment. I am Representative Val Demings from Florida, and I am honored to be here today with Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt, who has done what I would consider some very fascinating work um, in the area of human behavior. But today we're going to talk about your latest book, uh, which I love the title because I think it really conveys the areas that we really need to focus on, and it's entitled, Biased. Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. So, Doctor, welcome. It's great to be with you today.
1: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: In, in your book, you talk about what I would say, um, I'll use the word, Um, how we are conditioned, and I'll use that word Uh if you will, to respond to certain people and certain circumstances in a certain way. Right. And what you refer to as uh, implicit bias. Mm -hmm. Um, And you talk about how it can really show up in any profession. I. spent 27 years as a law enforcement officer and mm-hmm. had the honor of serving as the chief of police. So I'm particularly interested wow. in how it can show up in that profession. But you clearly point out how implicit bias could show up in any profession. Right. So could you just take a moment to talk just a bit about your background, because I think it's so impressive. And then if you'll kind of explain to us what you mean by implicit bias and how does implicit bias differ from what we all know, and in many instances have experienced just plain old racism.
1: Right, right. Uh, Sure. So I am a professor at Stanford University, and I study race and inequality. I've done a lot of work on racial bias in particular, um, a lot in the criminal justice space, but also um, in education, the workplace, and in in, in, um, uh, neighborhoods. I've done uh, work looking at uh, how race influences how people think about housing and how they evaluate homes, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, you, it's, it is something that you you see um, everywhere. It's um, there's no real um, sort of area of life uh, where it can't um, get under uh, you know our, our, our skin and um, start to influence how we think and and how we make decisions and, and how we act. Uh, and so that's what the book is about, trying to um, you know kind of follow uh, that uh, across all these different. Basis to try to understand how people grapple with race. Um, and uh, so you asked about how, you know, definitions, right? So yeah. I guess we can start there. Yeah. Um, it's
0: kind of different. Implicit bias is not necessarily the product of racism.
1: Right, right. I mean, not, not
0: necessarily. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, to some extent, it's just a product of how our um, brains are wired. And so mm-hmm. we're wired to categorize. We're wired to, to stereotype. We're, we're wired to, um, um, you know, to um, have beliefs about um, social groups that can get activated even without our awareness. And that's really what implicit bias is. It's our, our thoughts and our Feelings about social groups uh, that can influence our 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 decision making and our actions, even when we're not aware of it. So that's the definition, um, and which is different, right, from you know people who are burning crosses or uh, you know you know evil people Mm. or bad people. Um, So we're talking about sort of everyday people um, who, uh, despite their intentions and despite their motivations may um, actually exhibit a bias and allow that bias to actually infect uh, the decisions they make.
0: So then you're saying implicit bias um, is not, it, it can affect all races, yes. all people, uh, regardless of their socioeconomic status or yes. you know necessarily who they are, uh, whereas racism is more kind of deliberate Yes. Learned behavior. Yes. Is that what?
1: Yes. Yeah, and you talked about it's deliberate. It's learned. It, it's conscious. You know. It's mm-hmm. um. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk about that as like old-fashioned uh, racism. Yeah. Uh, but this uh, implicit bias is uh, something that uh, you may not even know you have. Wow. Something that you don't know is affecting uh, how you're thinking even. Um, and even if you, we know, you know what the stereotypes are about various social groups. We don't always know that those stereotypes are influencing what we're doing, how we're treating someone, how we're evaluating someone.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, the um, what what you refer to in the book as the toxic association of categorization, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was just pretty. It was kind of fascinating to me how you talked about how that influences what a person how they see things how they experience things how they uh, experience people but you also mentioned that our brains are wired yes to categorize right. people and things. Could you right. talk a little bit more about what you mean by that?
1: Right. Well, we need to categorize in order to make sense of all of the stimuli that are out there in the world that are bombarding us, right? We have to figure out a way to um, organize it and to make it coherent so that we have some sense of, uh, you know, control so that we have, um, you know, an, you know, a, a better idea about um, sort of, you know sort of what it is that's out there um so that we can make um good decisions and we can um you know have um yeah so it's, it's almost like the brain uh, can't handle everything that it's exposed to um mm. and so there are these um sort of techniques um that our brains use to um deal with all that information um so 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 yeah. categorization is one of those things and we don't just categorize people we categorize you know, animals, other animals, we categorize, you know, furniture, uh, we categorize plants, you know, all sorts of things. Um, but, um, that categorization allows us to engage in the world, um, and, and the world becomes more coherent, uh, because of mm-hmm. that categorization. But it's also, um, it's something that we do with people, right? So it's not just, you know, just, you know, you know, plants and, and other animals. It's it's social groups, and when we categorize those uh, social groups, we we uh, develop beliefs about people who are in that category. We develop feelings feelings about people who are in that category, and those beliefs are called stereotypes, and then the feelings are called prejudice, and together uh, that's called bias.
0: Wow, that's pretty amazing. You also. Um you, you, you write about uh, the what you refer to as the cringe-worthy expression. Uh-huh. As we're talking about cataractization, the cringe-worthy expression of "they all look alike." Yeah. Um, now you know, as I sit here and think about uh, that term, which I've certainly heard before, my first thought is to believe that anyone who would utilize that. Cringe-worthy expression right. of they all look alike, must be a racist or a bigot. But you say that it's really, it can really be a function of biology and exposure. Yes, yes. You, what do you be. mean by that?
1: Well, um, you know, uh, babies as young as three months of age already are showing a preference for faces of their own race. Wow. So it, Babies it's something, at
0: three months old. Yeah, so
1: it's something that starts early. Um, and part of, of, of why that preference is shown it has to do with what you're exposed to. So if you're exposed to faces um, only of your own race, and especially at a young age, yeah. that tends to happen, yeah. um, uh, especially in, you know, most homes are intra-racial. And, and so you kind of learn... Um, your brain is kind of tuned up on on the faces of your own group. And because we live in segregated spaces, segregated neighborhoods, uh, you don't come into uh, contact as much with people uh, of a different race. So your brain understands and sort of practices on processing faces of all of one type um, and gets really good at that at the expense of uh, really um, being able to uh, process and recognize faces of other races. And so, so we, we kind of develop a diminished capacity to recognize
0: those wow. faces. And, and so the phrase, they all look alike,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how does that um, translate, if you will, into negative behavior? Or bias or racism or behavior that would hurt. Right. Because I I certainly understand a baby at three months old, they start at an early age. We start associating with that which is most familiar to us, right? Right. That's not a bad thing. Right. How does it become... A, something that's bad right. or lead to bad results, that kind of association.
1: Right. Well, it's a, it's a precursor for bias. I, again, it's a fundamental thing. That's how our brains are built to categorize. Uh, but uh, it's a precursor to bias because once you're placed in that category and you can't actually even um, distinguish one face from another in this um, category of outgroup members, then they, they become interchangeable and once they become interchangeable then the beliefs that we have about people like that can get applied to all the people right in that category and
0: so you you, go ahead. Yeah, you give I think a really good example and I love the way you use examples in the book to really drive the point home right. because it's very scientific and you never even think about Yeah Um, unconscious bias having a scientific or a biological kind of beginning or or, or origin. But I think you you use examples very well in the book, and you talk about your work with the Oakland Police Department. Mm -hmm. But you also um, uh, talk about a situation where there were a a, uh, problem with robberies.
1: Right, right, And that
0: the victims of those robberies were unable to, no matter how long they were with the suspects or, you know, what they were exposed to. They were just totally unable to identify right. the persons who robbed them, put right. them out of a lineup, identify them at all. Right. So that's exactly what you're talking about that in is. terms of the they all look alike. Could you talk more about those, the work you've done with Oakland and, and that particular example?
1: Right, yes. When I first got there, um, this was back in 2014, there was a series of strong-arm robberies mm-hmm. and uh, black teenagers were going into... Um, the, uh, Chinatown uh, in in Oakland, and they were robbing middle-aged Chinese women. Uh, they would snatch their purses from their arms. And when the police tried to, um, you know, look into the crimes and sort of get information about who was it and all of that, the uh, these middle-aged women couldn't tell um, the officers who it was. Like, even when they had a chance to see the face they, they you know clearly saw the face even when the police would go uh, to them and sort of um for for uh, to ask questions about it and so forth um right after it happened uh they they couldn't tell you once that face uh, disappeared who it was um so so that was an issue and when they asked the uh, these young black teenagers well why do you go there why are you um sort of uh, focused on Chinatown And they said, well, um, you know, we go there because uh, they can't tell us apart. They can't tell the brothers apart. That's why we go. And so they knew uh, that they could rob them at will and not be caught because uh, these women couldn't ID them.
0: Wow. And even when I I also read that um, there were certain training uh, sessions that were done to try to help women like that or others to become Better at recognizing right. their attackers. And what were the results of well, the training sessions? Yeah, well, that, they would say, yeah. well,
1: you know, pay attention to things that are distinctive, like, you know, did he have uh, dreadlocks or did he have short hair? Did he have a gold tooth or, you know, all kinds of things like that. But, they would try to give them these strategies to help them, but but they they couldn't. Uh, they just couldn't do it, and um, they couldn't get even,
0: past the face. They,
1: they couldn't get past the face, even though they were motivated to, and that was because they hadn't had practice at recognizing those faces. They were being exposed to something that they didn't know um really how to um process. They didn't know how to recognize those faces. They didn't know how to read them. I had the same experience actually when I was young. I was 12 years old. I moved from an all black neighborhood to an all white neighborhood yeah. and you know I was worried, you know, as a little girl about yeah. how I would be accepted and 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 so forth and uh but the, the you know those the girls were so nice to me. You know, they went out of their way to welcome me to the school and you know, invite me to things and so forth. And they knew I had problems, you know, uh, recognizing, like like figuring out who was who. Like, But they thought um, it had to do with the fact that I was new and I was just mixing up their names. But I actually could not remember their faces. I couldn't distinguish one face from another. And so obviously that really uh, hindered my ability to make friends. And
0: I, remember so. you, I remember reading about <laughs> yeah. that and I, I, I thought it was, you know, it was... Kind of surprising to me that yeah. this concept that you're talking about, quote, they all look alike. Yeah. While we might associate it with racism, it really works both ways. And so you started yourself right. yeah. trying to come up with distinguishing marks or clothing, right. whatever, to remember. And these were not people you were afraid of. No. Or you feared in no. any way. No, These were your friends. yep These
1: were people I would sit with them and at lunch and then the next day and... I'm trying to think is, was that the person or was that the person? I mean, it was, it was really hard. I thought, you know, something was wrong with me. Like, what, ha- you know, why can't I do this basic thing that you think anybody could do? All of a sudden, you know, I lost my ability to, um, really distinguish one face from another. And it wasn't until years later uh, that I recognized that that had a name and that there was, you know, a lot of scientific studies on this. And it's common. So I, we we're talking about black-white uh, yeah. here, and we yeah. were just talking about, you know, black-Asian. But, um, you know, it's, it's all over the world. I mean, so it's, it's with every group. Um, so it's one of those things. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, they call it the other race effect. Uh, so it's, it's something that's common, but, but not, not insurmountable. So eventually mm. I was able to recognize the basis of Because of you wanted people. to. Well, not just because I wanted to, but because I was exposed to those faces over and over again. So as we, you know, we moved to that neighborhood, and I was exposed to those faces every day. And my brain just took a little time to catch up with my new environment, but it did catch up, and then I was able to recognize their faces. But that
0: was in a very welcoming, yes, environment, a very loving, if you will, yes, environment where they were friendly to you, they were kind to you. Yes, that was your experience day in and day out. Right. But in an experience where that's not the case. Right. Where you may not know the other group. Right. uh, Very well. You don't know their characteristics. Right. You don't understand the culture. Right. It could have a very different, I would imagine, impact. It can. Because you talked about the implicit bias can affect what you see. And then you base, you know, you base what you see on then what you do, your actions, your thoughts. Right, that right. That's yeah. correct. That's exactly yeah. correct. Yeah. Something else you talk about um, uh, in your chapter, Transition of Bias, mm-hmm. and you talk about how, and you mentioned a little bit with babies, but how children will pick up on the uh, characteristics of their parents. Yeah. They will love you if their parents love you. They will accept you if their parents accept you, or they will... Sean, you if their parents do. Right. But that's extended to friends and other people, co workers yes. um, uh, within our circles that um, people will respond to you based on how people they know or respect treat you. Exactly. And and I know there were studies done, you know, with, uh, we know the disparities oftentimes with um, African Americans and how they're viewed yes. or perceived. And there was a study looking at um, uh, African American. Actors and actresses, and the thought was, well, maybe if we portray them, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, if the women in Oakland, if their experience with young black males was always in a, a negative one, right? Let's look at if we portray black actors and black actresses in a more positive way, right? Let's show them on television as doctors and police officers and lawyers and, you know, teachers, then it may make a difference in how African-Americans are perceived in the communities or in society. Did it make a difference? What were the results of those?
1: Yeah, so that that study uh, was a study conducted by um, several researchers at Tufts, and they were interested in sort of looking at, Black actors in these really powerful roles and roles where you could sort of think that they are serving role models, right? And having a really positive effect on people who are watching those shows. And so the first thing they did was to, um, you know, take these really popular shows, um, dramas like CSI and, you know, Grey's Anatomy and those kinds of shows and, uh, what they did is they gave people uh, really um um you know like 10 second clips uh, to to look at um mm-hmm. of um you know the people in the scene and they would uh, cut out um the person that the people in the scene was looking at um mm-hmm. and either the person was black a black um actor or a white actor um and they simply ask um they, they so they're showing um you know the images of these people looking at this person that you can't see right and, and they ask well, well do you think that that they like this person or you know they ask them to describe you know um you know how that they imagine that, that person is uh, being evaluated uh, mm-hmm. by them and the finding was um, when it was a, a black actor who was the, the target of these uh, nonverbals, uh, they were more negative nonverbal. Uh, you know, that they were, you know, they were, it could be like a, a frown or maybe subtle things. I mean, when they asked them uh, why it is that they thought you know um, this person was being perceived more negatively say mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they couldn't tell you um so it's it's very you know it, it's something that's subtle uh, but they were picking up on it um and so the finding basically was that um yeah they they uh thought that the actors were treating the unseen black character more negatively and that they were less liked uh, than the unseen white character and then the other thing about this was the the um how this is um you know, how what they call uh, you, you get this uh, bias contagion uh, because mm-hmm. it wasn't just the people who were on the movie set. Right. Uh, or the TV set. Mm-hmm. It was also the people who watched those shows. And so when you uh-huh. you know look at people who yeah. are watching those shows, you know, the finding is um, that when you're exposed to this negative um, behavior towards a black person, even though it's subtle, again, wow. uh, that um, actually increases your own implicit bias. So, um, so we're thinking sometimes, you know that, okay, this is the answer, uh, but um you know, the bias has a way of of, of still sneaking in um, and yeah, so that that study showed how that how that uh, I think it's pretty place. amazing,
0: so if you think about a um, a person in any profession, if their exposure, as we've already talked about, has been just negative, negative, yeah. negative, yeah. And then, but even in a very controlled situation with um, African-Americans playing very positive roles, um, you talked about how uh, those who were watching the footage picked out very, what I would consider minor flaws, if you will. Maybe a frown on the face or a certain expression that appeared to have been really blown up as opposed to really seeing that person solely as... An African-American who's playing a very positive role, doctor, right. police officer, teacher right, or a, right. Yeah.
1: I mean even um, you know young children um, pick up on this like you said, um, they, they look to adults to figure out how um, other people are seen and how they should treat that person. Um, yeah. you know there was a study on, on that as well with um, fourth and fifth graders who uh, were shown a clip of someone who was being treated poorly or someone who was being yeah. treated uh, well. And, and the, the fourth and fifth graders kind of took on uh, the attitudes of, of, of the person who was, uh, was treating that person well or treating that person negatively. And so they're, like, they're watching what we do to um, figure out what they should do and how they should act and who deserves um, you know good treatment and who deserves bad treatment.
0: Wow. Um, you know, Dr. Everhart, I loved being a police officer. I mm. did it for a lot of years. And um, and you point out, you pointed out in your book that um, as we talk about some of the challenges with police mm-hmm. community relations, you pointed out in your book that 99% of police encounters with citizens do not result in any use of force. Right. Um, but if certainly the ones that uh, result in deadly force uh, we pay a lot of attention to right. as we should, right? Um, but police officers—it's a tough job, yes. right? And yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it can be a very dangerous job. Yes. And so, as we're talking about how um, people, whether consciously or unconsciously, are trying to decide what action are they going to take?
1: Okay.
0: Um, certainly, I, I would think those biases would certainly play a role in a job that's very dangerous right. and. Um, and many times, I think, as you pointed out, police officers um, many times feel like the community that they're trying to protect and serve may not protect and serve them. Yeah. That they may not be on their side, which I can think might just exacerbate right. the biases that already may exist. Right. You You point out um, uh, a couple of uh, incidences that took place. One of them was uh, Tamir Rice. Mm-hmm. Um and you talk about uh, them. Um, and also the Crutcher family yes, as well. Yeah, Terrence With Pritchard, Terrence.
1: Right.
0: How do you believe as you look at those situations? I know you watched video that was available I did. in Terrence's uh, the shooting that the unfortunate shooting that occurred with him. Right. Um, and and you went to visit his sister and yeah. heard her story about her brother yeah. that she grew up with well, versus a twin the person brother. her yeah. twin brother that's yeah. absolutely correct, yes. that she's been with since the beginning, yes. since she took her own her first breath. Yeah. Um, so I know you personally experienced the pain of that family because you met her and spent time with her. Yes. As you, I know you reviewed video in his shooting. You spent time with his twin sister. Right. Um, you also studied uh, Tamir's um, shooting. How do you believe um, unconscious bias played a role and ultimately what happened in those those cases.
1: So it's hard, I mean, as a social scientist, it's hard for me to say what happened in yeah. one particular case, right? Yeah. So I'm not, you know, uh, there, you know, a member Zolve of the jury. Answers,
0: of course not.
1: Right, right, right. And um, so what, uh, what I do is to try to, um, you know, look at um, features of these kinds of cases and mm-hmm. then um, isolate those features and um, study them in um, mm-hmm in a laboratory. So we mm-hmm. we don't know um you know even when we when when we uh, find say that there's a correlation between race and some negative outcome we yeah. don't know how much race is driving that in particular you yeah. know or, yeah. or or some other factors fear, that are also or, correlating with yeah. race. Yeah, and so we so to to do that um we can um sort of uh sort of take a situation um and create so have the same situation um as a scientist we mm-hmm. can uh, present people with a case uh, mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. and we say uh, we want you to evaluate this situation now it's the same situation but we're going to change uh for some of the study participants uh they see it's a black person who's taking mm-hmm. this action or mm-hmm. the target of some action mm-hmm for another group of subjects it might be a white person who's taking this action or is the target of this action and then we look at that allows us to isolate race right and yeah. so now we can yeah. make we're in a better position to make more uh, causal statements about yeah. the role that race is controlling cuz i'm controlling of the everything yes. yes yes because in any one case you can say well it, it could have been um you know because of the location where the car stopped, yeah. or you know it the could lighting, have been a li- or, yes yeah. or it could have been how he moved or it could have been you know there are lots of lots of factors right, yeah. and so we don't really know yeah. for one case, but so that's the value of science is that you can step back and you can um look at lots of 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 cases and um and and look at how people are responding you know across the board sort of more systematically. Yeah. Um, So I'll give you um, an example of of some of the studies that have been done on this. There's actually a study uh, that was conducted um, decades ago Mm -hmm. uh, by um, a social psychologist named uh, Bert Duncan. He was interested in um, how uh, people read the uh, body language of um, Mm -hmm. black versus um, white uh, people. And so he had... um, he he kind of staged uh this argument right so there was a uh, there was a yeah, study participant that, and they yeah. th- thought they were watching an argument take place uh right um and between uh, a black person and a white person and then the argument got heated and one of them shoved the other
0: right all stage all staged
1: all staged, yes. all staged. Yeah. um and so they had different what we call different conditions or you know sort of a, a sort of different setup for the study for uh, various uh, subjects mm-hmm. or or participants and and what uh, they found was is when the when the um aggressor who, who the person who shoves the person was uh, white, so you have a white person, say, shoving um, a black person. About 17 percent of the people would rate uh, that action uh, by the white uh, aggressor as violent. Um, Now you have the same shove and you flip it. You have a black person shoving a white person. Seventy-five percent of participants said that action is violent. Um, and and, so, and I
0: remember reading about that study, yeah. and when we talk about controlling the factors, the sizes were about the same, the yeah. action was the same. Right. The really only difference was the right. race of the individual. Right, and that's what you want to get to. percent to 75%. Right,
1: right. They were more inclined to say that the white person, when he shoved a black person, was just fooling around. Like 42% of them said that. Um, but um, when only, I think it was only about 6% of the people characterized the, the black person's, um, you know, uh, actions in that way. So when he shoves a white person, only 6% say that, oh, that's just playing around. So it's a huge difference. And you can see
0: the difference of, of race, uh, the, the, the difference that race makes there. Now, so, how do you take that information, mm-hmm. That is clearly, it, there, there are no extenuating factors mm-hmm. in that, because this is not a situation in a community or on the streets or in a neighborhood. This is a control situation right. that has been set up. Right. How do you take that information? What do you do with that information? If you were training, you right. were using that as a training tool right. for any group of right. individuals. How do you take that information? Right. What well, is it that you want the student, if you will, to understand about the scenario and right. then walk away with?
1: Well, you want them to understand how race can play a role here in how people respond and how they behave. And um, you're presenting them with a situation uh, that is identical, but for race. Mm-hmm. And so... I think being able to do that, the power of that, um, you know people understand it like they um, they get that okay, well, it wasn't this thing or that thing or the other thing. it seemed to be race, and so then that causes them to pause and sort of think about how race might play a role in all of these other situations that um, maybe we you know, maybe maybe we hadn't thought about before. Um, you know, so- discussing
0: races, I, I think, is still an issue in America that yeah. we still struggle with, mm-hmm. right? In terms of having really open, honest discussions yes. about it. Yeah. Do you, in a in a very controlled situation like that, mm-hmm. do you hear? Denials still well it it wasn't race even though that was really the only factor that was different yeah. do you still hear denials like it wasn't race right. it's the way he moved his hand or he right. lunged or do you hear the kind yeah, of denials? sometimes still? you do and, yeah. and then
1: sometimes um sometimes those denials might be valid and you have to go back and repeat the and re- study and yeah. tighten it up and you know and control for the movement precisely and and all of that so so sometimes that's good to hear because it allows yeah. us as social scientists to, um, you know, to, uh, you know, approach, you know, the study of this with more rigor. Um, yeah. But all, oftentimes, you know, at, you know, at some point, <laughs> you know, if you keep doing the studies and you use different, you know, you, you techniques and yeah, different yeah. people and all of this and you get the same result, then uh, you have to pause and think, well, maybe there is something here. Uh, the other thing I'll say about that is, you know, part of why people might be resistant is because uh, there's this sort of underlying feeling that you're calling them a racist. So this gets back to our earlier conversation about how we're even defining bias. Um, yeah. So if it means if it, accepting this work, if it means I have to think about myself as a bad person, Then that's just, that's gonna be hard for me to do. And so I'm gonna be resistant to it. Um, And and maybe I'm not going to, um, no, I'm not gonna be willing to accept that so easy. And and so maybe that's part of it. And so if we understood that, you know, even good people, right, um, can have bias and it can, you know, influence, you know, how we're seeing things. Then that's a different story. Um, then you can actually um, hear it, and yeah. and and maybe um, you can think about you know how this might play out in your own life, in your own discussions, in your own you know you know um, you know actions that yeah. you're taking.
0: So, Do you think th- that's probably the main reason that people are so fearful to discuss race? Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it on on. Both sides, right? Yes, you, you see don't. it among yeah. the races, right. not just one. Is it fear that you're gonna label them? If they question any way or honestly and openly express their fears.
1: Yeah.
0: Or their beliefs or right. how they were raised or right. how they've been influenced, that they feel that they're gonna be labeled. And when labeled in America, it's 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 kind of tough to overcome.
1: It is. I mean, it's one of the worst things you could call a person, right? Yeah. Is a racist, and they think that's what you're saying if you point out, um, you know, you know, that they, they they behave differently to this person versus that person, and you think it's uh, based on race. I mean, people get really you know uh, upset about that. It's it's a it's a, a an affront to you know sort of the, the character of the person and you know all of that. So so. I, I mean, I think um what the science allows us to do is to kind of step back from all of that and to... Um, actually, uh, look at it uh, without accusation, uh, but we're looking at it to you know to really understand how this is operating, how it's affecting us, uh, with the goal of um, actually um, making things better. With the goal of um, you know understanding the conditions under which this is most likely to happen, so we can avoid those conditions.
0: You know, yeah. so it's so yeah. I
1: think that's um, what one of the big values of science uh, yeah. is that.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, and and. It, your, your opening uh, chapter you talk about you kind of start off talking about your work with police officers and mm-hmm. um, you, your early training sessions yeah. when you first walked in and <laughs> they're, overwhelmingly welcoming reception. I I know this group, right? I know this group. And so you walk in and arms are folded. And it's like, I don't have the problem. Maybe you do, lady, but I don't, right? Exactly. I mean, the stone face. Stone face. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm going to resist everything you have to offer to me because that's not, lady, I have a tough job and whatever, right? Right. Just kind of what you were, race is tough to talk about, right? Yes, yes. I think we all, whether law enforcement, you know, every profession, we want better relationships with the community. We want to be strong, safe yeah. communities. But race is tough. Yes. And uh, but you use the story of your own your son. Yeah. Uh, when you all were on a plane. Yes. Yeah. To break the ice,
1: I did. Right? I mean, I I was I was like grabbing for everything. Like I was, you know, trying demos I'm, and jokes. I'm so and, proud you yeah. hung in there. I know the group <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had to hang in there because yeah. I couldn't just like You're run on off the mission. stage, you even though I wanted to run off the stage. <laughs> there was no way out. So I, I no figured, way out. Yeah, That's I had right. to come up with something, right? Yeah. And so I told a story about my son Everett, uh, who was five years old at the time and we were on the airplane and he was looking around on the plane. He was so excited Excited, to be on a plane. Yeah. And just up in the air and seeing the clouds and he was checking it all out. And then he sees this guy, you know, on the plane and he says, hey, mommy, that guy looks like daddy. And I look at the guy and I'm telling you, he didn't look anything at all like my husband, nothing at all. Like him. And I'm looking and I look around and I notice he was the only black guy on the plane and I thought, Okay, you know, you're gonna get the talk. So right, this this leads to our, you know, the discussion that we we had earlier, right? This I'm thinking he thought all black people looked alike, right? And so I'm gonna have to have a a talk with him about that. And then what uh, he
0: said next was What he said next
1: was, yeah, before I could have that talk, he looked up and he says, I hope he doesn't rob the plane.
0: And that's, your, said, that's your baby, yeah, five years old.
1: Yeah, he said that, and I. Was just, your son?
0: Yes, the yeah. expert on yeah. all of this. You <laughs> know, he was a little young, but that's what he was thinking. Yes, that's what he was thinking.
1: And I just, oh my, uh, yeah, I just was. I didn't want to hear that. Obviously, who, who, what mother would want to hear that? And I, you know, I looked at him and I said, "Why would you say that? You know, Daddy wouldn't rob a plane." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I know." And I said, well, why would you say that? Yeah. And he looked at me, and I'm telling you, he had a really sad face. And he says, I don't know why I said that. Wow. I don't know why I was thinking that.
0: And I think that answer, because, you know, we can learn so much from our children. Yes, we can. We really can. Out of the mouths of babes. Right. I think the answer that he didn't know, I think that could be transferred to... Every profession. Yes. Yeah. Maybe they really don't know, right? Because it's unconsciously.
1: Yes. Right.
0: We we get there in an unconscious way. Right. I just and, think and you, that and you his don't answer. Know where, you
1: don't. Yeah. You didn't where, know where it came from in five it's short a, years. Yeah. He knew something happened where he said that, but he didn't understand it. Yeah. And he knew. That it was problematic, just from how I responded. Right. Right? Um, and that's and that's a, a good point, too, when we're talking about how do you talk to your children about race. I didn't ignore it. You know, I didn't pretend it didn't happen, even though I wished it hadn't happened. Right. I, 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 I sat with him right then, and I had a discussion with him about race. I, I, I wanted him to reflect on his words and why he said it. I wanted him to ask himself, why am I thinking this? Why am I saying this? Right. I mean, and I feel like that's our role as, as parents, to, to help yeah. our
0: children uh, with this. And I think it was, because I'm not sure how I would have handled that, <laughs> probably not as well as you did. But um, I think it was so important at that moment that you did not say, don't say that. Right. And end of discussion. Right. And we have a tendency to do that because that's the easier way to deal with tough yes. subjects yep. and tough situations you didn't. You yeah. asked, why did you say it?
1: Yeah. I asked, why did you say it? Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think the other thing is, is not only um, don't say that, uh, but they under, children come to understand that you're not supposed to notice race, um, r- right? So they yeah. get from adults that the, the way to be a good person is to be colorblind. But a lot of the research on this uh, suggests otherwise. Right.
0: Right, because we're um, not colorblind.
1: We're not. Col- it's we're hard never to be, be. will
0: be colorblind. It's blind. hard to
1: be colorblind in a world where everything is associated right. with color, from that's birth right. to death. That's right. And so, if they see that, how can they be colorblind? And and the issue is, is when you teach your children not to see color, you're also teaching them not to see discrimination, and
0: and that's that's a real problem. And I think you're teaching them not to value who they are.
1: Yeah. You, you don't you value don't, that. Their authentic
0: selves. Yeah, yeah. Just ignore it, right? Yes, yes. I mean, we don't want because we don't have a colorblind society. Yeah. I think what we want is that my color does not matter to right. you when you're making a decision about housing or education right. or, or my salary or you know my job salary yeah, exactly. or whether I'm hired or not. Yes, we yes. don't want it to matter. Yes. Um. So I mean that yeah. was just such a profound lesson. Yes. in um, that conversation with your your son. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'll always remember it. Yeah.
0: So. You also talk about um, in one of your police training sessions mm-hmm. um, that you were approached after after one of your sessions by a young white male huh? who had moved here from Germany, I believe. Oh yeah. And he, you know, he he was talking about his own experiences yeah. uh, while on patrol. Right. And how he is affected, if you will, by what he hears over and over and over again on his police radio. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, he was... I mean, so I've done trainings in lots of different places. And so just, I don't know, being on the ground and hearing these stories, you really... you know understand a lot more about uh what's happening and police yeah. community tension and yeah. sort of e- even sort of what officers are experiencing when they're on the street and so i was you know at one of these trainings uh, long ago and so this person came up to me he was from germany and he i think he'd only uh, been in the states for a couple years and yeah. he said that he told me that his um he could feel his mind shifting. Um so when he came, you know, he, he was just like to think about himself as being very open and friendly and he would treat um people as individuals. Uh but then after being on patrol and hearing constantly male black, male black, male black, um over the um, you know, the dispatch over the radio, mm-hmm. the police radio, uh he, he it started to work on him and then he's starting to sort of think about okay, so these are the people. are committing violent crime these are the people i need to watch out for and so then it became almost um sort of sort of instinctual where he would see a black person and he'd be sort of watching them right and and just really you know checking them out and sort of sort of making sure you know where are his hands and all of this and so he was noticing that he started treating every black person as though they were a suspect. And his friends
0: asked him his what was wrong with noticed. him. Yeah, yeah, what, what's they, going on yeah, with you?
1: Because they, 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 he was acting in a way was so unlike him. And so they, they called him on it. See, again, it's the reflection. I mean, it, it's the talking about it. We 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 tend to want to not talk about it because we think that's safer and that's better. But it was they they brought it to his attention and they forced him to um, reckon with it. Yeah, and um and he was really he was worried about it. He was like, wow, you know, is is you know this job is it, it, sort of taking um, this thing away from me. I mean I used to think about myself as egalitarian and you know all of this great, but, but I'm a great not,
0: guy. yeah um, but you, you yeah. talk about the association of blacks and, mm-hmm. and and using that scenario yeah and criminality. Yeah if that's your experience, if that's all you hear
1: and that's all you see and and that's all you that's what you're forced to to you're, you're forced to make that pairing uh, you know black. With criminality, black crime, black crime, black crime, over and over
0: again. The only time and, you hear yeah. that that blacks are being lifted up right. is in a criminal way. Yes. The only time you're hearing there, yes. there, there is no, this person graduated from high school or right. got their doctorate, or right. that's not what they're constantly hearing. Right.
1: That's right. They're
0: constantly hearing there was a robbery, there was a burglary, there was a theft. Right. Male, black,
1: right. So these are the people who commit crime. These people are criminal. But the problem is, is I mean, most cities. I mean, you have a pretty tiny percentage of people who actually commit crime, even when you have racial disparities in yeah, who commit yeah. who commits the crime. That's very right. True. But then, but then you start to expand that to. Um, you know, to, to the whole category. I mean, you're start, starting to, it starts to bleed over into how you are thinking about other people, other black people who have nothing to do with uh, that criminal activity. Yeah. And so that's the problem is when it starts to expand. And that, again, goes back to our earlier discussion, you know, when we were talking about the middle-aged um, Chinese women in, yeah. in Chinatown. Yeah. When you, when you yeah. can't, when they're inter- interchangeable, you can't, you know, distinguish one from another. And this yeah. is the category. The category can kind of take control Control of us right and and then we start to pe- treat people within that category in similar ways and associate them um, with uh, them all you know with this characteristic in this case criminality yeah,
0: yeah. and and you talk about are you write in your book about how race kind of plays a part in almost everything yeah are uh, you talk about the unfair bail system mm-hmm. and how people who have money regardless of the crime they've committed if they're granted bail if they have money they can get out yeah but poor people cannot right and they spend a lot of time in jail right um and overwhelmingly the people who are spending the time in jail are usually people of color
1: right and it affects their cases you know because you know the studies show that if you are detained um, if you're in jail um, pre-trial, um, you know your your case you know ends up uh, less favorable for you because you know people you know they they um, you know they're willing to uh, you know to uh, plead uh, to you know, things that um, you know they didn't do and they're they're willing to. Um, you know, they they just want to be out of
0: there. A and, pre-bargaining so, yes, where, the the pre-bargaining process, yeah, as opposed to just being totally uh, exonerated, if right. you will. Right, right. They are willing to take a plea bargain, right, just so they can get out right. of jail, right. But, to, doctor, talk about the long-term effects, though, of. You might take that plea. You don't have the money to pay your bail. Right. You Okay, so you take a plea bargain. Right. Um, God bless public defenders because they're overworked and underpaid. Right. But they're trying to clear their cases. Right. right? They're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. Yep. And so you take the plea bargain. Right. For that moment. You're living in that moment. But talk about sometimes some of the long-term effects.
1: Yeah. How that
0: can follow you well beyond the day you're released. Yes.
1: Yes, it can. I mean, because it brands you, you have a criminal record now, and that follows you everywhere. And so you have this criminal record that um, could, you know, affect, you know, all kinds of things. Your, you know, employment, um, you know, your, um, you know, your ability to get uh, student loans, your housing. um, Yeah, it affects, it it follows you. Um, And even... um, You know, there's uh, research uh, looking at, um, you know, the price of a a criminal record and the finding for, for, you know, seeking employment. And the finding is, uh, you know, that there's a huge, um, you know, difference uh, there for people um, who have criminal records versus those who don't. Also a difference there in in terms of callbacks when you're going in for, you know, an an interview or, you know, uh, submitting an application for, for a job. There's a there's a difference by race as well. Um,
0: but you but, also but, found something though, even with when when everybody had a criminal record mm-hmm. there was a difference in who if there were calls back right. who received those calls. Right.
1: So so um, so yeah, so white people with criminal records are more likely to get a call back than black people with criminal records and actually in one study the finding was that white people with criminal records got about the same number of callbacks as blacks with no criminal record. So so it's both the criminal record and the race, you know, that's operating there. Um, and and when you put the two together, it really mm-hmm. compounds things and really could affect your your life chances. And it also affects people who aren't even involved in 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 in, in uh, that situation, right? So so you've yeah. made a decision, say to um, you know accept the plea bargain or whatever, and so um, now you were signed, you know this this label, you know as um, you know as as a criminal. You you said you're guilty, mm-hmm. uh, right? So that affects. You know, people, um, you know, that affects how strongly people associate with, uh, blacks with crime generally. Because now um, you're evidence uh, for this legitimate association between blackness and crime. Mm-hmm. And so you've traded your freedom, and it, and it makes sense, you know, in, in that circumstance, uh, just thinking about your odds and all of that, uh, to, to to say, okay, I'm going to plead guilty. But every person who pleads guilty, um, it... it um, it leads uh, to you know the, you know people to um, see the race as guilty almost you know it, it leads people to see yeah. blacks as yeah. as, as yeah. criminal and and blacks are disproportionately you know committing crimes you know what I'm saying yeah. so so you can see how this is a sort of system that's built up, you know, this plea bargaining system that's actually affecting how we think. It's affecting, um, you know, the public and, and their associations that they're making uh, uh, with uh, black people. Yeah.
0: And so I believe there are 2 million people who mm-hmm. are incarcerated and about 700,000 of them are released annually. And, you know, you have to think about then what? Right. And I know you've also um done some work within the prison system. Yes. Yeah. And could you talk a little bit, I mean there's so many good yeah. things in here. <laughs> could mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about the prison university project and some of your experience with experiences with with inmates and really working with them to really prepare them right. for success in the future. Right. Why that's so important.
1: So yeah, so this is I uh, was at uh, San Quentin uh, a State uh, Prison in in California, Northern California, mm-hmm. and uh, I worked there as a volunteer there, I should say, as a, an instructor. So I taught classes there, and um, another
0: tough crowd, right?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> they weren't as tough as the police. Oh, well, I have okay. to say that <laughs> they really appreciated me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, but yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I got there, and um, you know, I was worried, you know, about yeah. being there. I hadn't taught in that kind of environment before, and didn't know how they would receive um, me or the information that I had to share. But you know, it was it was an incredible you know experience and there are people there who are really you know trying to turn their lives around and they're trying to develop and um, they're trying to learn and, and they use they're thinking about education as a way to you know to to improve and so as an educator you know of course I, I love that and so actually it was just the opposite of being a, a tough crowd uh, in a way but when I started there initially I was really nervous and just little things would um, just set me off and make me you know, nervous, and so um, in the in the book, I was giving the example of, you know, any time uh, a student moved even a little bit, I'd be like, well, you know, what are they? What's someone going on? To go to yeah, someone stood up and, and to go to the bed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I didn't know why is he standing up, and then he yeah. starts to, you know, he's approaching me, and I'm like, he's just trying happen? to get to the door. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but... <laughs> he was just trying to get to the door, but I, I mean, just my my own bias. But nine
0: out of ten people, or mm-hmm. ten out of ten. Probably under the circumstances would have reacted the way you did. Well, yeah, Doesn't but it, make it, the person was just trying to go to the bathroom. Right, right. right.
1: <laughs> so, the but, person was just yeah. trying to go to the bathroom, but yeah. it, it helps us to see, you know, how Ourselves. we can carry biases. Yeah, because I was there to to actually teach, but then you know my bias was kind of getting in my way of. of Of that, um, at least initially. Um, And I was, I mean, I tell you, I was just nervous. I was like, where's the, I was looking for the guard kind of out the back window and what's going to happen. And you were happy
0: the guards weren't in the class eventually because of the progress that you all were making together.
1: Because they would get, you know, they would be more quiet, you know, um, and just, we couldn't have, just uh really sort of open dynamic discussions with the um guards sitting there, and so i yeah i was i went from wanting them to be there to to not wanting wanting them to stay away yeah. uh, really but that, it was yeah it was it was um it was a real uh, experience and and just um i don't know i mean it's an example of what we talked about at the beginning that mm-hmm. um we all are vulnerable uh to bias uh really mm-hmm. and um You know, we it's not sort of something that's just about uh, being a bad person. It's just what I was exposed to, right? And sort of my um, understanding of of who uh, inmates were and what they were like. And a lot of that is, you know, from, you know, all this exposure. I hadn't been really um, spent that much time in a prison before. So a lot of that comes from, you know, um, television and the movies and sort of, you know, our our narratives about uh, who these people are and um, and sort of seeing them as... um, as uh, inherently bad, right? Yeah. Um, and so I had to, yeah, I had to think about, well, what, what you know, why am I reacting that yeah. way?
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and, and, you know, you, you also write about, uh, of course, implicit bias versus explicit bias. Yeah. And you you reference Charlottesville. Yeah. And, and the whole attitude there, which you spoke to a little bit earlier about, you know, racist and racist attitudes and racist behavior yeah. being somewhat... Um, Different, But you also mentioned how the federal government, sometimes I think there are unintended consequences, but you talk about how the problems that we face in this area are somehow compounded by legislation that's passed. It might be segregation of neighborhoods, of housing, of schools, um, other institutions, um, and how that just helps to um, compound the problem that we're discussing today. But Dr. Uh, Eberhardt, you... Say that if we're going to effectively deal with implicit bias, mm-hmm. we've got to look in the mirror. Yes. That every individual has a responsibility, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, in the time that we've had, we've talked about so many things, um, used so many examples yeah. of implicit bias. Um, but how do we deal with it? What's, what's really the answer? Right. What, what do we do? What... Where do we go from here if we're all going to get better right. when we take that look in the mirror? What are some things that you would suggest or recommend yeah. that right. we start doing, regardless of the professions that we're in, to um, yeah. be a better, fairer yeah. America, if you will?
1: Yeah, well, there are ways to manage it. um, so, um You know, there's a, there are a lot of studies on this by, um, social psychologists kind of looking at this, like, what are the conditions under which, um, bias is most likely to be triggered, um, And then, you know, how do you you manage that? And how do you be mindful, you know, of those Mm -hmm. um, situations so that you can um, sort of understand um, and you can slow things down? So so that's one of the, uh, uh, actually, this is one of the um, um, areas where you're um, more likely um, to have bias Uh, get triggered is when you're having to make a decision really quickly, when you have to think fast. Um, We kind of go on automatic pilot and we're just kind of, you know, sort of basing um, our decisions and everything and how we're thinking on what we've, you know, learned before or what seemed to be associated, you know, uh, with what before, you know, so this is, yeah. um, you're not yeah. really being thoughtful uh, yeah. about it. And so when you're in that situation, a uh, bias is more uh, likely uh, to get triggered and affect, uh, in, you know, our uh, decisions and, influence you know our behavior and so you want to slow things down so that would be a remedy there uh, we're more likely to um you know have our biases emerge when we feel threatened when we feel fearful you know in some of these situations are situations that cops are in right um so yeah. like if yeah. you're if you're feeling threatened and fearful and you have to make a decision really quickly um um you you know you, you're you, you could be more vulnerable um to you know, racial bias in that situation mm-hmm. than um, if you had time to sort of think it through. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when uh, before I got to um, Oakland, California, I'm working uh, there with the police department on their reform efforts, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, changed their foot pursuit policy. Um, so they... Um, we're finding, you know, that, you know, there, there were a lot of um, people getting hurt or, you know, and sometimes um, when there was a shooting, oftentimes it was associated um, with some foot chase. And so they changed the policy. So um, they didn't allow officers anymore to chase people um, into enclosed sort of dark spaces where you would lose sight of the person. Um, they would say rather than chasing um, the person into this situation, we want you to step back and set up a perimeter and call for backup. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, sort of time and resources, and you slow it down, right, uh, to, yeah. to work it out. And they found um, just changing that foot pursuit policy, um, they used to have eight to nine officer-involved shootings a year, and now uh, they only have um, eight officer-involved shootings. Um, they've only had eight in the last five years. Wow. So it's a huge, huge yeah. difference. And, um, and not just the officer involved shootings, but even, um, you know, people getting hurt, um, injuries. I think officer injuries went down by like 75% wow. or something. Um, but these are also the conditions, right? That, um, uh, with the formal policy that would promote the, the bias because you're, you know, you're afraid. It's dark. You, you know, there's a ambiguous situation. You're in there with a person that is, uh, threatening. You're, you're feeling fearful. You have to make a decision fast. Not a good recipe uh, for the best decision making. So, if you can, you want to step back and slow it down. And um, so, anyway, so that's that's a, an example of of how um, you know we could think about um, the science uh, getting applied to these yeah. real situations that obviously matter quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Well, Dr. Everhart, I have so enjoyed our conversation, uh, and just congratulations to you on the outstanding work that you're doing. And congratulations on your book, Biased, oh, you. Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice That Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. Thank I you so much. appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Afterwards podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also send us an email at podcasts at c-span.org.